Hey, hi. Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner. I'm a programmer at TIFF now, and this is the other thing I do. My guests this week are the Paz Brothers, Yoav and Doron, written and directed the Israeli horror films The Golem and Jerusalem. Their new film, Plan A, opens the Toronto Jewish Film Festival this Thursday, June 9th, at 8 p.m. at the Hot Docs Ted Rogers Cinema. Based on a true story, it's a thriller starring August Deal as a shattered Holocaust survivor who falls in with a group of fellow Jews after the end of World War II, plotting to kill six million Germans in an act of revenge. Yoav and Doran chose Inception, Christopher Nolan's head-spinning 2010 action film, or maybe it's a heist picture, starring Leonardo DiCaprio as Cobb, a man who specializes in a very precise type of corporate espionage, orchestrating elaborate infiltrations of his target's minds. It's the perfect narrative engine for Nolan's love of clockwork plots and parallel tracks of action and reaction, with an all-star cast that includes Elliot Page, Tom Hardy, Marion Cotillard, Ken Watanabe, Dilip Rao, Killian Murphy, Pete Postlethwaite, Michael Caine, of course, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt as an action hero. It's complicated, it's dizzying, and it's kind of a blast, especially if you see it on a really big screen. This is someone else's movie. Ah, uh, should I start with you? Yeah, yeah, go, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I think I, I think Inception uh, for for us for me at least is is the reason uh, uh, is the reason cinema is, is still made for especially to 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 see this to watch this movie on a big screen and to have the whole the whole shebang the music everything is to I mean for me I, I felt that everything in this movie is is up to eleven but in a good way. <laughs> I mean, the, the, everything was so precise, and the dream within dream within dream, the plot device that that Nolan had there, that was so unique for us, that uh, layers and layers of stories, and uh, uh, it and he, uh, it was what it was mind blowing to see uh, such an intelligent movie and such a blockbuster movie, because and and I think that's what that's what made him so successful, obviously. I mean, it's 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 kitschy and it's it's emotional and it's not crowd pleasing, but it's also very very intelligent and very and always makes you think. Um, that's uh, that's why I loved it so much. Uh, in also, general, uh, you know, uh, cinema has been around for so long, and we thought we see, we've seen it all, <laughs> and then uh, Nolan pushed the envelope and. Uh, and he successfully was able to, 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 to tell a story in a new way, in a much more complicated way. And I think it's more like Inception is more like you, you design sound, you know, because usually video has only one layer, but it sound is when you go to sound design, it's, it's, we love this, this process because usually you edit the film and it's only like one layer of film and then you go to the sound design and then there's endless ways of to adding more and more channels and to tell small little stories that add more to the world that you're creating. But Nolan here in Inception, he was able to build three layers of, of video, three layers of, of uh, storytelling. And that's really, was really mind blowing to see it for the first time. Yeah, it is. I mean, now, what, 12 years later, where everyone just assumes that Christopher Nolan's films are going to be the biggest and most complex things at any time in any given moment when they come out. It right. is kind of remarkable to, to roll back and think about, oh, this is right after The Dark Knight. Werner said, OK, do whatever the hell you want. And he really went for it. it, it yeah, it's, you know, it started he, he had the story goes that he had started it 
has a treatment. It was like an 80 page treatment about a heist kind of thing with a dream stealing where that was the point. They weren't putting it in. They were taking something out and it just kept getting bigger. And so he realized it didn't work as a heist picture. I think I I did the Dark Knight junket in 2008 and he had no idea what he was going to make next. Or at least that was what he kept saying. He says he never knows when he finishes his movie, he's finished forever. He thinks he'll never work again. And this is like every movie. It's part of his self-mythologizing, I think, like every movie right. takes it all out of him. I mean, he was saying it when he made Memento, too, in 2000. So I, I don't know that he really believes it, but it's a good line. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then this turns out to have been just percolating, <clears throat> excuse me, in, in the back of his head for years, going through all these different permutations. And then what came out is, I mean, it's 17 different films. It's, it's every story uh, at every speed. It's you know, it's a Bond movie for about 20 minutes. It's, um, it's a heist. It is sort of a heist picture. It's an action film. It's a thriller. It's a meditation on what we need from our parents that we never get. Mm-hmm. And, and somehow it's consistent. That's the thing that amazes me. The, the yeah. one sort of, it's got all of his strengths as a filmmaker and very, very few of his weaknesses. Um, right. the, the propulsive thing he does where he can make you feel as though you're being dragged along while you're sitting still by the narrative. Right. Um, it's what right. lets him have the incredible endings of every one of his movies, which are never fully endings. They're just sort of mm-hmm. stop points, but you feel like you're hurtling into the credits. And right. this gives you that for two and a half hours straight. Like it just, yeah. it somehow doesn't stop, even mm-hmm. though it's all exposition. It's incredible. Right. Like it's it's a right. it's a textbook case of how not to write a screenplay if you can't <laughs> deliver. Yeah, I I totally agree. And there's always a feeling that uh, you're missing something. This is why you you're on the edge of the seat because you're always trying to yeah. to to understand what what's going on, what's going to be next. You're diving into a new world, and that's you know. It, I think I had the same feeling when I saw Matrix One. You know, it's the same same feeling that it's so rare these days to to have in cinema. When you first saw the Matrix, yeah, it's the, yeah. the sense of endless possibility, right? That, that this exactly thing could right. be anything it wants to be at any minute. Exactly. No, that the, there's new rules. Uh, that exactly you're the rules. Film. New rules. You need like half an hour into the movie. You just need to keep inside your head to, to know the rules. By the way, he did the same in Interstellar. Mm-hmm. Like Interstellar also, it's like a physics lesson in the beginning. It's like you sit down. I, I, I watched the movie with my wife and she just went out of the theater because it, she doesn't like physics and she's not into that. And it was so over, overblown from this beginning in Interstellar. She just went, went out and I kept and I stayed there. <laughs> but uh, you, it, it takes a lot from the audience. He's giving so much credit to the audience in both movies, in all of his movies, maybe. So uh, you need to know the rules and you learn and you, and you, that's what pulls you into this new world. And once you know the rules, you're, you, everything can happen. Like you, you're a sucker. You can do everything. Like, he can write whatever he wants and you're in. I, I do think it's fascinating that he leaves, um, he leaves so much unspoken emotionally, but it's all conveyed by the actors anyway, somehow like the, the stuff that DiCaprio is doing with regret and sadness in every shot. Um, all we know is that he doesn't see his kids. Like that's really the only thing we know about Cobb. Um, but by having, (laughs) by having Marion Cotillard show up and try to kill him over and over again. And by Mm -hmm. explaining to us that this is the, like the physical expression of his regret inside the dream it tells you everything. Yeah. It, it's it's yeah. so simple to 
to connect to it. I mean, it is, again, it's, it's Nolan's problem with, with writing women who are always either absent or dead, but mm-hmm. here it's a strength here. It actually works because yeah. Cotillard commits to it so much. And DiCaprio, you know, the second he sees her, he starts to flee. And it's, it's this great larger thing where afterwards it's like, Oh, it's like, he's running away from his responsibility. Nice. It's just, mm-hmm. it's just right. there. But yeah, as you say, it makes you feel smart for following it. Um, and yeah, right. I think that's one of the reasons he's built such a, a rabid fan base is that they, they're receiving messages. They're being told, you know, they're being congratulated for solving the codes of films. Yeah. Right. Which now is what all cinema culture seems to be on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. This is not a good thing. <laughs> I agree. agree. Yeah. But to have that moment of discovery is oh. exhilarating and, and to figure out, I mean, the moments where, you know, where Elliot Page's character is introduced and is the builder who has still somehow no idea what's going on and yeah. everything has to be explained. The, the fun and games, the fun and games part with the streets folding. You mean that that's, yeah. 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 That, that's, and that, that's, so in a way it's such a Hollywoodic beat, you know, it's such a fun and games kind of superhero. You see, you, you've seen it so many times. But again, in a Nolan movie, it works so uniquely. I mean, it's so refreshing to see it. Though we see in this thing when someone's explaining the other ones, the rules. This is very The Matrix, by the way. When Morpheus explains Neo the rules, it's exactly mm-hmm. like DiCaprio is explaining uh, Page. Yeah, um, and it is, it's fascinating to watch um, play out in the same way as The Matrix because you are taking a moment where there's nothing going on but the film teaching you how the film works. And, yeah, exactly. and you get the sense that you're seeing something new, but you, in this case, we actually are. Uh, the, the, those folding effects are amazing yeah. and, and they hold amazing. up, which really surprised me. I was worried that they'd be a little, no, uh, really. a little jaggy these the days, but yeah, it really? holds up. It's clean in a way that, um, uh, I mean, obviously Dr. Strange went and ran with it for the, for the Marvel universe of mm-hmm. folding things. But yeah. when, the, the difference I think here is that it's presented in such a, an almost literary way. It's stately. It's serious. These things start mm-hmm. happening just outside the periphery of the screen. And we're kind of dragged to that. Our eyes are pulled to them as they're starting to turn. And again, the actors just nonchalantly exist through all of it. You know, like Ariadne yeah. showing off. It's not, right. it's not exactly, um, uh, it's not exactly new to them, but we get to experience it from the outside and the inside at the same time. And again, he's showing you, it's like a heist movie. He's showing you how everything works before it's deployed. Mm-hmm. And you can just be dazzled. You can enjoy watching the actors play inside these worlds because he's given us the breathing space for that. But yeah, we can be dazzled by what's going on totally. in the sense yeah. that this is something totally different and new. Right. What year is the movie? It's t- t- 2010. Ten. So, I, and just the thing I I, I felt my another amazing point that I had I thought about recently is I wasn't a father at that year. I wasn't. Okay. We weren't parents. And I think one of the well, only when you're a father and I watched the movie again, I became a father and I watched the movie again, and I realized the 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 punishment that the character has, that the protagonist, that not seeing his children's face, you can't see the, you can never see the face. That's a, the the most such a horrible curse not mm-hmm. to see your children. You can see their children. They see the, he sees them running in the court. I just remember the scenes, but you see them running, but you can't see the face. And that's such a horrible thing to, to do. It's a horrible torture for a character. Yeah, it's very in clever. It was even worse, of course, like that you, you're so far oh, away. Well, it's, 
tear, tear squeezer, daughter, yeah. and she's growing up uh, without you being there. So, yeah. So, yeah. I don't know that he means it to be cruel, right? I think that he's just seeing a, a plot point that is very moving and powerful. But yeah, you're right. The longer you spend with his movies, the the, the harder they are on relationships, the, the, the mm -hmm. darker they become. Um, yeah. Like Tennant just isolates people so completely from the world they're in as a, as a matter of course, but it's also a story about uh, a woman who's been utterly betrayed by her husband who never really loved her. And she has to come to terms with this and also almost die in the course of it. And she's not even the center character. Right. Yeah. He's hard on women um, and kids. Um, <laughs> and it's, but, it, but these are like, it's, it's amazing because nobody ever gives Kubrick a hard time for his, utter disdain for humanity. Like he's a total misanthrope as a filmmaker and Nolan is constantly compared to him, but also he gets flack for the, the coldness of his films in a way that I don't think Kubrick did just because, I mean, it's all social media amplification, right? Like there's just louder right. voices now on the outside right. than there used to be. But watching Nolan find emotion in these films, the way he does, I think he just processes it differently. And what scares him as a person, as a husband or a father is different from what scares most right. people in the audience. Um, isolation and loneliness is such a constant theme in all of mm -hmm. his films. Yeah. Um, to the point where like the only one that isn't is Dunkirk, I think, where it's about yeah. a collective effort. Right. Yeah. But, but it's also the one that's the most interested in character. And I, I love it. I do yeah. think it's, yeah, I think it's his best it's film. It's an amazing movie. But you're right that there's not a lot of character. I mean, the characters are there, of course, but it's not like, like it's an ensemble piece. It's like, right. The I, yeah. Right. Yeah. There's hardly time for dialogue. It's all functional. I, I, I just, I think it's incredible because he's finally made the mechanical movie that everyone accused him of making all along. But it's mm -hmm. exquisite to watch the pieces yeah. function. And everybody in it has high stakes and, and, complete reason for being in the situation they're in it's yeah i love it it's a great ride and and inception is one of those films where if you step out of it for a second it's all very silly like if you if you tried to explain it as as god knows i did if you tried mm -hmm. to explain it to people who haven't seen it yet it's like well that's dumb. right it's like, <laughs> yeah not it's really with it. the dream yeah and then you're stuck in and you're stuck in your dream and yeah and then you need to wake up you need to kick the chair and he falls back and that's how you wake up I know. If you see it play out, it makes much more sense than if you try to describe it. Uh, I guess right. it's the same for Tenant. And I suppose if you try discussing any Batman movie, it is kind of silly. But he right. does have yeah. the gift of, of propulsion. He will drag you through these things, whether you believe it or not. And then you get mm -hmm. to watch, you know, Tom Hardy and Joseph Gordon-Levitt be dressed in exquisite suits, just being goofy in the backgrounds. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it makes it all okay. Yeah. Amazing. And technically, also, you know, sound design, music, of course, Hans Zimmer, the all the, the track, the, the yeah, score the is. And... Every time I hear the last track, like the elevator scene at the end, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Heartbreak is such a powerful track. Um, so, yeah, it's a perfect movie. For us, it's a, one of the best movies in the recent years, I think. And, yeah, so you, I mean, I'm just trying to figure it out. I always want to work back to when people saw something, but this is fresh enough that you would have just seen it in the course of going to movies, right? I mean, it was just playing. Right. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Went to the movies and there was the big buzz around it, of course. And uh, yeah, 
but but th- these are really rare moments, like we said, that you're that you're sitting in a cinema and then you realize that you're watching something really truly fresh and truly new and a a whole way whole new way to to for storytelling. And this is right. so rare because it's so difficult. Everything that we watch or you're trying to create always reminds you something else, and everything is based on something. And it's a, it's becoming more and more difficult to to tell a story in any way, and how and somehow we succeed doing it time after time. Now let's hope to feel the same on Saturday when we're going to watch uh, Top Gun 2. We're going to oh. watch it on yeah in a few days. I see. I, I'm kidding. I don't I don't know what the reaction will be, but I'm really excited about this movie. People are pretty high on it here. I, I haven't seen it yet, but um, it's opening. Mm-hmm. It will have opened by the time this runs, so people will mm-hmm. have opinions. Um, I'm kind of fascinated by the the response that people are getting uh to it that the 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 early reviews that have rolled out have been rapturous right right it's got a very low bar to clear which i think is interesting but the the way people have responded to it has been Mm -hmm. really quite surprising right but you're looking forward to it (laughs) yeah us as well Hey, it's Norm, interrupting my own show to tell you about my new Shiny Things newsletter, a weekly dispatch about physical media, popular culture, and maybe even the odd streaming thing. This week I broke my own rules in a bunch of different directions to write about David Cronenberg's Crimes of the Future, because it's really good. I also covered Aerofilm's new special edition of Wild Things and Sony's 4K steelbooks of The Bridge Over the River Kwai and Lawrence of Arabia, because, I mean, obviously. Subscribe for the price of a latte at shiny-things.ghost.io or find a link at the Semcast Twitter account. I'm writing about movies again. Come check it out. For theater, you know, to, to, to sit in a movie, to watch a big-scale movie, just the action scenes are... I, I'm quite sure, I don't know how the script is, I'm quite sure the, the, the action scenes are going to be amazing. And the shots and, the, you know, the air, the air dog, the dog, dog fights and everything. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, let's see. And that is the promise of Inception, too. Like, it is a big screen spectacle. It does not work as well on DVD where you're watching it, or even Blu-ray, where you're watching it compressed down to a sliver. Uh, The widescreen kind of works against it on a a smaller scale. I I think I've seen all of his films in IMAX screening rooms uh, since The Dark Knight. All of them have been press screened. I mean, he makes a point of screening them in... um, in large format on film whenever possible for us right. just to go out and say, oh, you really need to see this in large format on IMAX. Because of course yeah. you do. I mean, that's it's the nature of, of movie going now that everybody's been stuck at home for two years watching stuff on television. Yeah. Of course you're going to be right. encouraging people to see the biggest version possible. But with Nolan, he he uses the space. Like it's it's not an exaggeration. Yeah, totally. He's been this um, passioned proponent of cinema celluloid film restoration all of it he he like warner brothers let him play with the restored prints of 2001 to create his own idealized version for imax presentation oh really i mean it's it's nuts in a way it's it's incredibly indulgent uh of the studio and also you know they're stitching him together with kubrick in a way that was never really possible before but it it just feels like a way of keeping him interested and keeping, you know, like keep dangling things in front of him. So he'll play with them between movies and he won't wander off. I mean, I know his next film is being produced uh, for universal, I think. Oh, really? Because of some fallout around the release of tenant where 
he was driving. I mean, there are conflicting stories and I don't really, I still don't know what the truth is. Cause I really, it's all very silly. Um, but he was supposedly uh, behind the push to get tenant open in theaters in the summer of 2020, which mm-hmm. cost, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in worldwide release. It didn't make anywhere near what everyone expected it to because of COVID in Ontario. We couldn't see it until the last week of August, I think, uh, because that's when theaters were possible. The first right. re- the first slow reopening was in, was in late summer. And I, again, they had us come down to the IMAX theater and uh, at the, at Ontario place and screen it there in the, the world's largest IMAX screen. And it was oh, nice. very impressive, but you just could not get people to come and see a movie in, in the yeah. summer of 2020. So Warner was very quick to say that Nolan was the one pushing for a theatrical release instead mm-hmm. of waiting. Whereas, yeah. you know, with, with Top Gun Maverick, um, with Top Gun, Cruise is the one who's claiming that he was never going to let it happen to streaming. And he sat on it for two years and made sure yeah. that the fans could see it in the right way and all of that. That's, you know, like, now it plays out and it's going to make a billion dollars. But, and they waited for like two years, right? Like, yeah. It's crazy. I mean, yeah. It was but done it before COVID. It was the, the, but it seems it was the right move. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. now in retrospect, right, it feels like it It was. Yeah. Uh, I think Tenant would still have been a complicated sell no matter what. But I'm sure it would have had a huge couple of months uh, as the, as the big dog in an IMAX, you know, large format presentation, if that was occupying the space theatrically for an entire summer of a normal summer, it would have been massive. Right. And instead it just, it didn't quite work. Although the film is the film, right? Like that's, that's always the weird thing. It's, it's just because you release something into a a devastated landscape doesn't mean the movie is any less good or, or or Mm -hmm. less timely. I guess it's, it's hard to explain. We can only take, I mean, you can only take comfort in the fact that COVID disrupted Nolan's career and not just ours. <laughs> the, the, success of, the success of Plan A was, was uh, you know, we got, we also, of course, like all movies, we got, a, it was very hard to, to uh, screen it uh, during COVID. So uh, us and Nolan are probably on the same boat, which is nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, we can talk about that. How um, the film was finished before the pandemic, you had said. So yeah, the shooting. The mm-hmm. shooting was finished before. We were lucky enough to finish the shooting before. Now we're talking about Plan A. And, uh, and the downside of it was that we did the post-production. All the post-production uh, process was uh, during COVID, the peak of COVID. Ooh. Like yeah. when nobody knew anything about the, the pandemic and everything. And it was a very rough ride. Um, because it's a co-production, Israel and Germany, and there's a, of course, there obviously there's a lot of people involved, and the editing was here, and the sound design was there, and it it was very, it was a very rough time. Um, yeah, I remember when we just, they just opened the editing studios after, like at the beginning, it was a total lockdown, of course, all the world, like the peak of the COVID, you know, February, I think, you know, beginning of March, mm-hmm. everything was really all the world just stopped. And then slowly we, we opened the editing rooms and we started moving back in. Um, so yeah, we, we finished the movie. We wrapped the movie during the pandemic. Uh, Good. So yeah, we, I mean, I re- in a way we were lucky. I remember horror stories. A friend of mine made a film about the pandemic during the pandemic and had to do the whole thing remotely. Interviews. It was a documentary, wow. but interviews yeah. post all of it had to be done in individual spaces, the thing came out in right. the fall of just like the 
October, November, 2020. It was, it was a remarkable accomplishment, but it, it damn near killed him. And, and the sense of building something collectively in isolation. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you can't, if you can't direct, you know, looping sessions in, Mm -hmm. in the same space, you'd have to figure all, and you guys were doing this as we were figuring it out, not after, you know, a year later when we've all accustomed, you know, we've acclimatized to zoom and all. Exactly. But we were lucky just before we're locking down the film to, to travel to Germany. And then we were able to finally sit together with the sound designer and with the grading and everything. And finally, after a long process, we closed it the way we wanted it to be. And uh, we are very proud of the result. And now it's starting to do its uh, first steps in the in the state and in Canada. And um, and we are uh, very uh, curious to see how people are going to react to the film. I'm curious too to see how it fits with um, with stuff like the Golem and, and Jerusalem because mm-hmm. you know you've right. you've made all these movies about um, sort of founding mythologies about mm-hmm. biblical texts and and the things yeah. that are uh, fundamental sounds wrong because they're so fantastical but they are they're stories about the stories that we tell each other the the mythology yeah. that sustains people and exactly. now you have a a, a holocaust a post holocaust drama which ties Mm -hmm. into the founding of Israel, which is a fundamental foundational myth, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's become a myth now after seven years. Mm -hmm. And, um, and we're in a place now where stories Mm -hmm. of Jewish revenge, you know, like Spielberg did it with Munich almost 20 years ago. And that was taken badly. It was received as, as something that he, you know, like maybe transgressive, a story that shouldn't be told the idea that, that the oppressed can become, um, not the oppressed, Mm -hmm. the, 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 the victimized people can become victimizers themselves. There, there's something really ugly and, and alive inside of plan A in that story. Mm-hmm. And, right. you know, we are talking about Nolan being such a cold filmmaker. This movie makes no illusions about the, the pain and the grief that drives literally every character we follow. That's what we liked about this story. I mean, we, we never imagined us ourselves telling a Holocaust story, not because there's so many amazing Holocaust stories, but a lot of them are are on the same angle, which is uprising, heroism, surviving. And we wanted, we 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 fell in love with the idea of the move of this uh, of this story just because it's a different kind of angle to deal with the Holocaust, especially from you know us as third generation in the of Holocaust growing up in Israel, hearing all these Holocaust stories from a very early age. Mm-hmm. So we know we knew this is something unique, and maybe there is a reason with nobody told this story till now. Maybe the, this is the time to tell these kind of stories. I mean, do you think it's because culturally we're ready for it? We're ready for that inquiry that was sort of pushed back before, like like the Munich response, where people were saying, "Oh, you shouldn't make this story." It's exactly. it's it, mentioning the third generation thing. My parents were. Um, born in the early 40s. And so mm-hmm. their fundamental memories of meeting their relatives from from the, the ones who got out of, of, well, Lithuania, Ukraine, Poland, they are horror stories because they grew up with this, these awful tales that they mm-hmm. couldn't understand as children, right? Like they internalized them as as horror stories about not being able to trust anyone in your culture about how the world was always going to reject you and turn on you. And then my generation grew up almost pushing back against that and understanding mm-hmm. um, identity in a different way 
because I'm like, I guess I'm third generation Canadian in that case, because my grandparents mm. came from Eastern Europe before the war. Um, mm. And so we we just have a completely different understanding, having never experienced anything like that. But But there is this this sense now that the clock has rolled forward enough. And maybe it's because all the survivors are finally, well, silent is a terrible word to use, but you know, like just yeah. lifespan yeah. factors yeah. in, well, right? There, so there, if the original survivors are going. There is a technical reason, right? First of all, they're, yeah. they're going, unfortunately. Second of all, there's another technical reason that they didn't talk about it for tens of years. The, mm -hmm. the, the original Avengers who took part in plan A, plan B, Mm -hmm. They didn't talk about this these operations. Just uh, and if they did, they did it uh, anonymously or uh, you know without showing their faces. Uh, and only in last years, uh, there's they started. Some of them started to talk more openly about this uh, operation. And for us, we did the research for this movie, and we talked to the original Avengers, and we uh, from the Jewish Brigade, which were soldiers. They didn't participate. They weren't in the Holocaust, of course and the Avengers themselves. And it was uh, fascinating to hear the, these conversations to see how their mind worked and what, what went through their mind at that time. And to judge it, in, not in today's perspective, but in their perspective in 1945, 1946. Yeah, well, and, and how did you find out about the story? Where did it start for you? Well, I, actually, it was, it, you know, we, it started as a very small film because uh, a friend of ours told us uh, his family's secret about his grandfather that just before he passed away, he told them that after the war, he went back to his childhood home and he took revenge and killed the man who snitched to, about his family to the Nazis or something like that. And we said, wow, that can be really contained, small, intense family drama about revenge. This is how we wanted to start this project. But then we started, you know, researching, investigating. And I'm, I can say it was, you know, using Google, just the first thing I was writing Jewish revenge. And then I started reading about plan A and it blew our mind because we never heard about the story about Jews trying to kill 6 million Germans right after the war. We never heard, uh, learned this story at school. We never heard about it. There were no TV shows about it, nothing. So I, I, I couldn't believe reading it, you know, just a very small phrase about it. And then we started researching and going deeper and deeper to the subject. Uh, we connected to Professor Dina Porat, who was writing a, a book about the subject. And then we started meeting the survivors, uh, the Avengers that were still alive at that time. And, and it really, you know, deep, we went deeper and deeper to the story and it blew our mind. And we decided we want to make a film about this because it's, but, but uh, you know, a lot of our friends, when we pitched this idea to, to them uh, or family members and they say, why, why do, why do you want to tell this, this story? So many people want to keep this story hidden or quiet down um, for, for several reasons. Uh, uh, so it, it, it we we felt the the weight on our shoulder writing the script directing the film it's 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 uh, an explosive it's very delicate uh, because this group they were the the minority the exception you know it's we are focusing we are putting a, a light on a very small group of people who try to take revenge and the the majority most of the Holocaust survivors did not take revenge. Uh, went on with their lives or didn't, but this 
exceptional exceptional group really fascinated us and um, and I think from the from the exceptional uh, group we can learn about all the other uh, survivors who didn't took revenge yeah I mean it really does sort of draw the line between the the larger cultural um, stereotype of Jews as intellectuals and passive. Like we just, we're more likely to argue about stuff than actually do anything. Right. Um, which is sort of goes out to the you know, liberals and progressives and democracy in general. But the idea that if you survive a death camp, you're probably going to be pissed off about it. I think that's, there's something there. There like, there's something that, and, and it comes up in the film where characters ask, um, Max straight up, like, why didn't you do something? And he can't yeah. answer. Right, um, right. And it's not just that they don't understand how it was for him, but he can't understand either. Like he just, mm -hmm. he wants yeah. to, now he wants to direct it into something. And that's, that's really like, that's dramatic. That's very compelling. It's Hamlet, right? I mean, that's the idea. Exactly. 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 And I had just seen deal, I guess one of the last things before, lockdown would have been a hidden life i saw it at tiff with, mm -hmm. a, with a friend of mine and we just yeah we were so taken by him and that's again the study and passivity and he he can do that he can be still and have so much going on inside of him it's, yeah he's an, an amazing we were really actor. blessed really blessed to have him uh, to 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 accept uh, this role we couldn't ask for a better actor for uh, for this role and it was very he took it so seriously and you know we gave him some a bunch of books that they just dive into it, read everything he, uh, about, he knew the about the subject more, more than us. He always yeah. uh, it was a real encyclopedia about about the subject. He knew so much coming to this project, um, and yeah, and he's and he's, he has really interesting acting methods. Is is giving everything he has on the first take, and it took us a while to understand that, you know, because usually when we are working with the actors. They just want another take and another take because they're just getting warmer and warmer from mm. each take. But August is just the opposite. Like he, he explodes on the first take and then another one. And then on the third one is empty. And it, and it took us a while to understand how, how to, to work with him and, you know, to get the maximum out of him because he's, he's really a, a true talent. God. And it is such a, a volatile performance too. Like he is, he is in it those veins in his head are not just inflating themselves. It's, mm -hmm. uh, it's really quite something. Yeah. So um, usually the podcast wraps up by asking how the film has influenced your own work, but I think we kind of covered it. The, the sense that Nolan is doing the thing that you are still chasing, right? Like this, right. this conceptual scale and the, and the, right. and the staggering yeah. imagery. Mm -hmm. How have you had the chance to, come up with anything like that i was trying to think of the the closest i can think of is the scene with the bag is basically <laughs> uh, yeah right i, I know it's your yeah it's just, yeah so you've sort of nodded in that direction i think i can say that we like i mean first of all we like i mean you ever like to deal with the darker stuff dark materials now we i mean um and more intense we love mythologies and we love the the dark side of human nature i think uh um this is something that really interests us even if, if it's uh, the golem or a horror movie or if it's a true story like plan a but uh we always uh, like the extreme the more hardcore stuff and more the, the the cinema that makes you think and make you feel 
without a, you know, with all the less natural, with all the manipulation a director can, can make on audience. If it's music, if it's sound design, it's all that. We, we love these tools, um, not the natural, hyper-realistic hyper kind of cinema. That's less us in a way. So, of course, we can relate to, to Nolan's movie on that way. The poetry of the unreal, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. My thanks to the Paz Brothers, whose new thriller Plan A opens the Toronto Jewish Film Festival this Thursday, June 9th, at 8 p.m. at the Hot Docs Ted Rogers Cinema. If you can't make the screening, it'll be available to stream in the festival's virtual cinema at tjff.com from June 16th to the 26th. Thanks also to Winnie Wong. She knows what she did. You can find Yoav and Doron on Twitter at Yoav Paz and Doron Paz, respectively, one word each. And you can find Inception on 4K, Blu-ray, and DVD from Warner Home Entertainment. It's also streaming on Netflix, Crave, and Stars in Canada, and Netflix and HBO Max in the US, and available to rent or buy on most VOD platforms. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner, and you can find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. First year of the podcast is still available at payhip.com slash Semcast for just $20, that's the first 52 episodes of Someone Else's Movie, 46 of which aren't currently available anywhere else. And check out my newsletter, Shiny Things, at shiny-things.ghost.io. I think you'll like it. Our theme song is by The Last Year. If you enjoy it, or the show in general, please say so. Leave a review wherever you've been listening. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network while you're there. Stay safe. Watch movies. Wear a mask if you go out. Get your booster when you can. I'll see you next time.